Hey guys, this is Drew Lieberman. In episode four of the Sideline Hustle podcast, we have game day on the mind as we take an in-depth look at everything players and coaches must do to prepare for the season opener. There's nothing more exciting and more nerve-wracking than the first game of the season where everybody is watching and everything's at stake. As usual, I'm joined by my co-host, former Rutgers quarterback Gary Nova, the guru, former Maryland head coach Ralph Friedgen, and my big bro, Don Bosco prep head football coach Mike Teal. In college, you're only scrimmaging each other. You're getting ready to play a game. In the NFL, you're playing preseason games to get yourself ready. So the opener, all of a sudden in college, for you go from training camp right to playing full speed. The NFL, you're kind of working your way up, and then you hit this fourth game, and it kind of slows down. And then all of a sudden, you're getting ready to play fast in week one. So I had never been on the sideline for an NFL game before. I might have been to one NFL game in my life prior to the first time I was ever playing in an NFL game. That's wild. And the opening kick happened. One, we were playing in Seattle, and the stadium was going absolutely bonkers. Yeah. We couldn't sit two feet from each other and yell and, and hear what each other were saying. But they, the balls kicked off. And the speed of this game and the violence of it, I was like, I've never seen anything <laughs> yeah, like that. Wow. Because I had seen three preseason, four preseason games where, you know, guys are starting to get their feet underneath and they're starting to get a feel for it. They're getting hit a little bit because you don't do a lot of hitting during camp. And then that first game, it was just like, <sighs> Anybody who says they don't get nervous is, is lying. Yeah, yeah, There's so much at stake. You put so much effort into it. It's like you, everybody's watching. You, you got to get a little nervous. What's going on, everybody? This is your host, Drew Lieberman. I'm slow packing. <laughs> Our days here are numbered. Even the way we've come up in the world, think about it. Yeah. We've created the website ourselves. We've made this podcast ourselves. Like everything's been done just by us hustling. And you are now listening to the Sideline Hustle Podcast. We talk about doing this show. Yeah, yeah we, we laugh and we joke and we complain about how hard we work. But if we didn't love to coach, we wouldn't be doing it. I want the good guys in. Get them out of here. I want the good guys in. To me, I think we're broadcasting the day-to-day life of what college football is. From the sidelines, we gotta hustle cause we gotta eat. From the sidelines, we got some goals that we still gotta reach. You know, in college, you, you have the ability in the, in the opener to be deceiving and, and put in a new system or do new stuff that no one's seen before. What's up guys, this is Mike Teal, head football coach at Don Bosco Prep High School, former Rutgers and Seattle Seahawks quarterback. Because when you have scrimmages in college, the media is not allowed to report on the X's and O's. They're allowed to report on the player. But you could, you know, the year before be a four down front, and you can open the, the first game of the year in odd, and yeah. the team has no idea. Yeah. And the NFL kind of is what it is. You know what they're going to do, especially by the third preseason game, which is game plan. Right. You, you know what it is. So from I, I think from a, an ability to to have specials in or to be able to change and manipulate a little bit based on what your personnel is for the mm-hmm. opener, it makes it tougher to get ready for the first game of the year in college compared to the NFL. I, and that's what, we were, when I was talking to Ralph about this, I was like, at least from my perspective, my three years at the Division One level, like the, the hardest thing preparing for the game for us as coaches, at least young guys, was preparing for teams where there was something unknown. Preparing for Washington State, I think they had a new defensive coordinator and you weren't quite sure what they were going to do. And just when there's something unknown that you can't predict, that a coach changes, they might change the scheme or, you know, there's a different player there, a different new quarterback, whatever it is, just going into that not having film to prepare on and preparing kind of just based on, you know, hypothesizing on things. 
I think that it makes it pretty uncomfortable because seeing the film, knowing what, what to expect is, is where you find the most comfort in football. I would always assign the GAs. At the time, we only had two GAs, so they would get maybe four teams that they, they would join the social media of those teams. This is Ralph Friedgen, former head coach at the University of Maryland. So it was their job to every day look at the social media, whether there was websites or you know what I'm talking about, fans write in. and There's so much you can learn from that. So it was their job to tell me, especially on the upcoming week, you know, if there were any injuries or who had a good practice or problems going on, you know, so you know, we would pay to, pay to join those sites. And that was their responsibility. And again, when you're a player and you're not prepared because there's a different look, it makes it tough. That's why... Coaching on the fly, everyone talks about you know halftime adjustments. That's a bunch of BS. You've got to be able to adjust from series, series to series. To series yeah. If you don't do that and you wait till halftime, the game's going to be over. You know, are there halftime adjustments? Yeah, of course, because you're going to talk a little more in depth. Yeah. But you got to be able to communicate from the booth down to the field, from the field to the players, and the players need to be able to understand it, and they need to be able to go out and execute it. Yeah. The other thing that I noticed, you know, in adjusting in games, you know, in college, what I noticed, the team was going to make an adjustment. They usually made it after a series. If they were really good, they made it after a series. If they weren't very good, it'd be after a half. Where in the yeah. NFL... They would they would adjust after a play. No, it, it's that's what makes football to me so fun. That you know, if someone hasn't coached before, might not necessarily understand. Is that every single series there's adjustments being made? Right. Every single play is recorded, and you're looking at it, and you're studying it, and you're trying to figure out what are they doing, how do we attack it differently, and then they're doing the same thing on defense. You know, they're in mm-hmm. you're you're in 21 personnel pro, and they're in you know an overfront, and they're playing stack. As an offense, you say, all right, well, we're going to be able to double the three technique to the backside backer. We're going to lead the tight end on the sand. We're going to kick the end. We'll roll on the mic. we got a great play. Right. And, and the defense is saying, well, all right, maybe we should, you know, bump the end down to a seven technique and bring the salmon on the ball and make them a nine technique so we lose that stack right. look. Yep. And yep. It, you, it's cat all and mouse. Little things, yeah. You know, it's, it's fun, and it's, it's, that's the exciting yeah. part. Um, but it's always it's always constant. If you, if you wait to the end of the first quarter or you wait till halftime for adjustments, the game's lost. And the difference between the NFL and, and college football is that the players are identifying it right. and making their own because adjustments. They're professionals. They're, they're not waiting in. for the coaches yeah. to tell them what to do. Now, are there times that coaches fix it 100%? Mm-hmm. But when Brian Urlacher's out there and they're getting a different look and you know they see it one time, you know, the, the best story I have about the NFL goes back to Peyton Manning. We put in a pressure when I was in Seattle, and I was a scout team quarterback that week. I was Peyton Manning for the week. Mm-hmm. They put in a pressure, our defense, that – it was an odd where you got to a bear look that ended up kind of ending up in, in a 4-3 look, but it was weak side pressure from the safety and the, and the backside weak linebacker. Never shown it before. Never. First play we ran against Peyton, we sacked him. The next time we lined up and did it again, so that was in the first quarter. In the third quarter, we did the same pressure, and that was, that was our mistake. Same pressure, he stopped everything, checked, touchdown to Reggie Wayne. Wow. One time yeah. in his career, he had seen that pressure. It happened in the first quarter. We did it again in the third quarter. He fixed it, and it was a touchdown. It's unbelievable. That, that's what separates the NFL from college. Right. Coach, talk to me more about um, your your process of adjusting during games. I remember there was a staff meeting one time when you were talking about how every game you try to find a play that you feel comfortable with, that you think is working versus their look that you can kind of hang your hat on. I remember this was specifically against the Penn State game that, that first year that we lost, and you were just talking about how you couldn't find that play that you felt like we were running well, the kids were executing, that we could kind of get some some yards on every time, and that prevented you as a play caller from getting into a rhythm. Um, I guess explain 
explain that process of trying to find stuff that you're comfortable with in during each game? I always thought you needed five running plays that were going to be your base running plays, okay? And then what I would do is I would say if, if I'm coaching that defense, okay, this, this is how I'm going to stop these running plays. I, so I would try to think about how would they stop these plays, what adjustments they would make from their defensive scheme. And so then I would have another five plays that – would counteract what I thought they would do. So, so I was always thinking, all right, if I'm defending these plays with this scheme, I'm gonna, you know, I'm either gonna blitz it, I'm gonna overshift it, I'm gonna bring the secondary down, I'm gonna do something within this scheme to stop this play that we should we should have a good play if they play regular. And then those five other plays, they would be my minor plays. We would run them during the week, but they weren't they weren't going to be essential to the game plan. You know, if you went in with any more than that, I don't think you, you were able to block it as well versus all fronts. I always thought you and, and us as a staff, I always thought we did a pretty good job of really working hard to scout all the formations and all the different looks and then finding formations where we were really comfortable with getting that exact look so that we could say like, hey, this might be a funky formation, but every time we line up like this, the defense is gonna play this coverage and that allowed all the players to feel comfortable about what to expect and there were no surprises on game day and then they could run things fast and, and think a little less. I imagine, Gary, for you, like those situations when you knew what to expect made it a lot more comfortable. Yeah, I think that that's something that really helped me my, my senior year with, with you coaches. You know, we always found a formation that, you know, we knew what they were gonna be in. This is Gary Nova, your everyday quarterback. And, you know, how to get an extra body over there, you know, how to get, you know, leverage on a, on a, on a guy on the outside. I remember Ohio State, we kept trading the guys over and we were running force. We were running force, yeah. They yep. were staying the same. Yep. We were getting out there. Um, you know, things like that, you know, just it's just a simple numbers game. You know, we yep. got three over there. You know, we got more guys over there. We could run the ball that side. So things mm -hmm. like that it just simplifies the game so much. And you keep doing it until they stop it. You know, I think in every game, I think you got to be able to adjust. You know, I you go in with a game plan. But to me, playbook was still in effect. You know what I'm saying? Obviously, you narrow some of the game plan down. But if you're going to face something that you don't have in the game plan. I remember we were playing Florida State one time. I wanted to change something. And James Franklin was the offensive coordinator. And he says, we can't do that. I says, what do you mean we can't do that? He says, well, you know, because we call plays with the card, you know, so they would. With the wristband, yeah. So he said, well, we don't have it on the card. I said, are you kidding me? Send the guy in with it. I mean, it was right. a play that we wanted to run that was that was there, but because it wasn't on the card, he, he didn't feel like he could run it. Now, you know, that wouldn't have happened with us because we signaled everything and we could just signal it in. I remember one of the first conversations me and Gary had when we started recording this podcast was we talked for like 20 minutes about signaling plays versus using the wristband. And that was the biggest thing we concluded. And, and I thought something you were great at was that during games, you would make small little adjustments and all we had to do was change the signal, but no one knew there was a big difference. Whereas with the wristband, if you wanted to make one adjustment, you had to cross off the whole play on the wristband, find a fine tooth Sharpie, and then write the play in on the Sharpie under a new number. And if it was sweaty, it would start to smear or the guy couldn't read it. Like, like wristbands just caused so many more problems. Gary, what, what was what was your kind of thoughts on, on that? Yeah, I wasn't a big fan of, of the wristbands. I mean, I guess because I don't really know any better because that's what we had done for three years. But um, definitely the signals were, were great. I think it just kept you locked into the game. Um, you know, obviously, I think I missed some during the season, but I definitely missed way more with the wristbands. 
because it was written one way. You had to flip it on your own. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, things are going, flying around. A lot of things are moving around. The font is like eight font. Yeah. You know, it's tiny font. There's 115 plays on it. And I remember for me as a GA, my job when I was typing the wristband up, because the year after you left, Coach, we used the wristband with Ben, and I would have to highlight every word that could potentially be flipped in yeah. red. So, like, if it was right, that had to be in red. If it was, like, a protection where you could flip it the other way, that had to be in red. And, like, the quarterback, if I happen to not highlight one word, well, all of a sudden you don't flip it and the whole play is, is screwed up. Yeah, and I remember a couple times in halftime when we had the wristband, like you said, you know, if there was a play that they might have wanted to run, like, mid-first quarter, we couldn't do it. They would have to put it on the wristband at halftime. Right. And, uh, you know, maybe that play could have got us a big play for a touchdown or first down or whatever. And we couldn't run it because it wasn't on the car. Yeah. So, you know, wristband, I think well, it would be great because we just signaled everything in. We had we had a million signals and, you know, we made them ourselves. Yeah. So we knew everything because yeah. coach let us make them. So we kind of just played with them all day long, trying to figure out, you know, what it was. And we did them every day before the game to be on the same page. There's a lot of hype too around your return to football because you had just come out of retirement and obviously like the Rutgers community was very excited about you being the offensive coordinator. They had, you know, you were like, I think the fifth guy in five years or maybe even more than that at that yeah. point. But I remember it was just such an epic way for your career to start because everyone was talking about all these things that they thought you would do for the program and the first play he ever called went 80 yards for a touchdown <laughs> from Gary to Leonte. <laughs> that was the first play of my division one coaching career too. It was, it was wild. Well, I, you know, I, I had a little extra sentiment in that game, too, because, uh, you know, Mike Leach was trying to get the Maryland job and they fired me. And they actually had interviewed him the day I, we were having our bowl game. I was kind of looking to beat his ass to start with. So He threw what? There was like just trips right three seam, like all go. Yeah. What was, uh, when did you know you wanted to call that first play? I think I told Gary before the game I was going to call it. They had a young corner over there. They were going to play 3D, but they were going to be, you know, they were going to blitz. And uh, they did. And. And Leonte kind of ran by the guy, you know, because he was expecting the ball to come out quick. Yeah, I, mean, I remember you even telling us, like, earlier in the week, like, I think we're going to take a shot first play of the game. I'd like to take a shot on him first play, uh, you know, start the year off right, you know, just come out of the gates, you know, take a shot and set the tone for the season. I mean, that was all done by our spring and summer breakdowns of the guy. And actually, that really turned out, I think he was a freshman, too. So that was the other thing, you know, I knew I was dealing with a young kid. You know, the, the whole thing there was, there was, I knew he was a zone blitz guy. When they're zone blitzing, they, they're looking to squat on you. And so I, I thought we might have a shot to run by the guy. And we did. You know, Gary made a good throw and we all made a good catch. Made me look smart. You know? <laughs> Coming out from the first play, attacking like that was, was awesome. Like you said, I've always had like a new guy first game. So it was always like kind of feeling each other out. You know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? I never like got, was able to kind of go into a game knowing like, all right, I know what coach wants. You know what I'm saying? It was always like a mystery. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't know what he's going to call. Like, all right, calls all go. We go and score a touchdown. It's like, all right, let's roll. <laughs> we're not, I think we're going to be pretty good on offense this year. Uh, you were up in the booth. You were a GA up in the booth kind of charting the defense. Walk me through that play from, from your perspective. So it's probably my mistake because I had never done what I was supposed to do prior to doing it for the first time. Yeah. Never a good idea. <laughs> right. I can tell you, never a good idea. So I was responsible for the down distance, offensive play, Defensive formation, defensive personnel, defensive coverage. Yeah. And I had to write it down in, in this book that I would chart everything in. And I get the play. I'm writing the play down. By the time I finish the play, the defense is – the ball is basically about to be snapped. So I look up for two seconds, 
and, and I see they're they're in their odd because they play. I knew they were in odd structure. Yeah. So I, it was odd, and there were two safeties, and I write that down. By the time I look up again, Leonte has a ball, and he's about to score a touchdown. I was like, it just must have been quarters. Right. It had to have been. They just ran, we just ran by the, you know, the corner. Safety, you know, it looked like maybe both safeties were down. There's no one you know, in the deep post by the time Leonte caught the ball. And I didn't see any of it. And ultimately, it was boundary pressure. They brought two weak, they and they right. played single high, yeah. and they played three deep zone, basically. Yeah. And <laughs> so, score the touchdown, first play of the game, all right? Or first play of the season, yeah. everything's great. Ben downstairs on the field, flips over on the headset. Uh, what'd you have? I said, cover four. And he just loses it on me. It was like, it was zone pressure week. Yeah. And he's like, if I can see it on the field, you have to be able to see it in the booth. That is ridiculous. And he flipped right back over. Mike Teal, <laughs> if I can see it from down here, you have to see it from up there. And yeah, so that was that was the first, really the first snap of me having to chart everything. And was, you got it was, dead, dead wrong. Was that yeah, yeah it's yeah. so good, man. Uh, but it it it, it happens fast. And it does. It, I should have done it back when we had some of the, the inner squad mm-hmm. scrimmages where you actually are doing what you're supposed to do on a game day. But once once the game starts and once it go, it starts going. Yeah, I, I didn't watch any of the game. I literally had my Dude. eyes on the paper writing up. I would look up for two seconds. I'd write down. I look up. I'd write. I look. It was that's all. That, I that did. job is hard, man. It's the and it's important when you have it a guy is. like Ralph who wants statistics, wants what they do on third and short, what they do in twenty one personnel, what mm-hmm. they do, you know, formation to the boundary. There's just so much stuff that goes on that you have to be ready for and I wasn't ready for and it. I, yeah. I you know learned very quickly yeah. that I needed to be. I remember I had I had that same job as you the year when you left and I got promoted into your role and like the, we they had me do it during the preseason scrimmage and I like would I, I knew our defense obviously because you play every day so I knew the coverage indicators and like I would grade myself I got like you know 75% of the calls right which I was like all right first time doing it like whatever. We played Norfolk State and like they didn't run many coverages and I remember I got like 40%. Like it was terrible cuz it just happened so fast. The hardest thing I always found about that was as a young coach or GA, you're always preparing for the next week. So I would get myself yes, thank you. into the yes. into the mode of starting to break down film, starting to put situations together, statistics together for the next, for the week. next week. And I would forget what the defense that we were playing against that they week actually would did. run. Yeah. And basically, it was just trying to figure it out as we were playing. It was, it was hard. From your playing experience, coaching experience, what do you feel like the biggest struggles are, the biggest challenges leading up to the first game? You know, As a player, the biggest struggle is always – Coming from training camp, you're seeing the same defense over and over and over again. In college football, you don't get to scrimmage anyone. You play against each other. And especially by the time I was an upperclassman, I could tell our defense what they were doing before they even did it just based on, you know, was it a two-eye or was it a shade? Was it a three technique or was it a four-eye? You know, it would tell me whether they were they were bringing weak pressure, whether they were staying too high, whether they are going to play two read or whether they are going to, you know, roll and play single high and, and go zone pressure. I knew it all. So the transition for playing our defense for – 20 practices to going into a game week, you know, where you're seeing new looks, where you're going against a scout team, where it's not as familiar. That that was tough, uh, especially when I was a younger player, uh, just because you get in such of a habit to understand what the defense is trying to do to you. And now all of a sudden, you right. know, you might be playing an odd team that, that plays, you know, a too high look that they're going to play too read and they're going to do some different things with quarter, quarter, half and invert and stuff like that. Uh, that you hadn't seen, so yeah. it's it's different, and and you got to really have a great look by the scout team, which I know we'll talk about. Yeah, but that, that's the most important dynamic of of kind of getting ready. Coach, at what point during preseason does your 
attention really shift from installing the offense to, all right, now we're preparing to, to beat an opponent? You want, to, you want to start preparing for the first game of the year 10 days prior to the game. I mean, you want to have your final scrimmage before then, and then you want to separate into the scout team and, and the, uh, the regular team, and that's always a tough time. So you got about 10 days to prepare, plus if you got anybody nicked up from the scrimmage, you got a little extra time to have them ready. Gee, talk to me. How did your mindset going into to week one, like how did your mindset change over being a four-year starter? I think as a freshman, it was it was overwhelming. Uh, I wasn't, you know, named the true starter for week one, but, you know, dealing with all the information from the playbook and trying to process that. And then, you know, when you feel like you finally got the basics down, then they throw in some of the game plan stuff on top yeah. of it. So then it's kind of just overwhelming and you really just, you know, got to just try to make it as easy as you can for yourself with taking a lot of notes, you know, trying to learn how to watch film. And, and then as you as I got older, you know, obviously it was, it was less overwhelming. I mean, I had a new coordinator every year, so I was always kind of learning new stuff as we were going on, but uh, it kind of got easier for me to transition from, you know, learning the playbook and then kind of transitioning into, you know, what, you know, we necessarily want to do for week one. You know, I'd say from freshman year, it was overwhelming, and the senior year kind of was just, you know, exciting, you know, taking on that challenge. You know, Andrew, I think one of the tougher issues for Gary was, you know, just what he says. I mean, he had no carryover. So every, he had a different offensive coordinator, different quarterback coach, you know, to have the success that he had is really uh, incredible. Imagine if he had the same guy for all four years, you know, obviously he would have gotten better and better with doing the same thing over and over again. I mean, obviously, you know, me, someone that uh, likes to eat a lot, I had to make sure my weight was good, <laughs> make sure my body was, was all right, make sure I wasn't too heavy, you know, make sure my, uh, my fundamentals were all right. And then um, you're just making sure that, you know, trying to lead the team, trying to make sure that uh, guys were focused, the guys were, you know, buying into what we were trying to do. And it was always a challenge because we always had, you know, a new regime kind of come in, not not from head coach, but offensively. Right. We always had new, you know, new stuff being taught to us. And it was funny because it was kind of the same stuff being taught in different ways. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like for the most part, every year at Rutgers, we always came out, you know, hot. If you look at it, we always came out, you know, four and one. You know, I think some of that had to do with the competition that we played, but we always came out rolling. Our freshman year, man, we were we were there from like eight in the morning till ten o'clock at night. And sophomore year, kind of the same thing. So I think guys kind of had that, you know, hard work and getting ready for week one and still doing them. And then I think my senior year, our senior class kind of really gathered everybody around and. and Make sure we handle our business. Now, now you bring it up, you know, there are a couple of uh, first game uh, stories. The uh, It might have been my last year at Maryland. We opened with Navy, and, and Navy was always a big game for us because it was an in-state rival. And we didn't play for 40 years because uh, one of our players sat Roger Starback and threw the bird to the uh, midshipmen, and they broke relations. I worked very hard to get that game back. Paul Johnson and I had dinner, and I was telling him how we should play this game. It, it would be great for the state. And, and at that time, Navy wasn't doing well when Paul just first took over, but he did such a good job. I knew it, he would. And I went to the uh, correspondence dinner in Washington, D.C., you know, and, and I met the Secretary of the Navy, and he turned out he was a Maryland graduate. I told him that um, we need to get this game, and he helped me put it through. So the first year we played, the first game of the year also, and we won it in the last second. Five years later, they're going to play us again, and and, uh, I'm I'm watching their quarterback. He scored 27 touchdowns the year before, and he always ran the quarterback lead play. You know, they'd fake to the fullback, and then he'd just follow the fullback in. I'm watching our practice, 
and our quarterback is scoring every time on our defense in, in, in the goal line running that play. So I have a dream, you know. I, well, first of all, we had a discussion, and Don Brown, who's now the defensive coordinator at Michigan, was my defensive coordinator. He's a great coach. He's a great coach. So I said, Don, I said, um, what are we doing to stop this play? We don't want to stop in practice. We scored 27 touchdowns last year on this play. He goes, Coach, you know, if we, if we gang up on that and they throw the, the toss, we can't stop it. I said, Don, they scored 27 touchdowns. If, if they throw the toss on fourth and one, it's on me. So then I have this dream. The game came down to the, the final thing, and we ran. We didn't run the defense that Don wanted, and they scored and beat us. So I come in the next day. I said, Don, we got to stop this play. I don't care if, you, if it's fourth and goal on the one-yard line. Do what we got to do to stop this play. If they do anything else, we lose the game. It's on me. Yeah. Well, don't you know the game comes down to 15 seconds to go in the game, the fourth and goal on the one, and Don looks <laughs> at me, and I look at him. I go, well, he goes, well. I hope they don't throw the pitch. I said, if they throw the pitch, they deserve to win the game. He he doesn't have enough guts to throw it. Sure enough, they ran that play. We blew it up. We win the football game. Wow, that's unreal. (laughs) So then I go to the press conference, and I come out of the press conference, and Don's there, and he goes to me, I like to know where you're where your crystal ball is i said you know don i had a dream you know it's just amazing how it all worked out i think it's a it's awesome time of year because you don't have to worry about school you don't have to worry about anything else you just focus on football i think uh, like coach said you, you for the first game you get the most you know preparation you pretty much start from day one and you get to look at you know what they're doing all last year you get to look at film for two weeks three weeks you get to break down everything that they did last year and then you go into the first game and it's kind of an exciting because you really don't know what they're going to do. They could come out in something totally different, or you really don't know what they're going to do. So that's that's exciting. You know, you're up for that challenge. You're also nervous. You don't know, you know, how the team's going to respond to the first game of the year, facing the unknown, and uh, it's just really exciting. And I think, you know, your mindset, you know, as you first start training camp, you're kind of just, you know, worried about getting in shape, trying to get your fundamentals right, and as training camp, you know, goes on, you try to uh, get your mindset you know, focus more towards, you know, game week and preparing for a game. You know, I can remember my first game at, at Maryland. We were playing North Carolina. Hadn't beaten North Carolina in about six years. And they were ranked. They had Julius Pepper. They had about five guys that went in the first or second round. That was a good team, yeah. Yeah, and uh, their first play from scrimmage, the guy ran 80 yards. So the first play of the game, he goes 80 yards. You know, I could see our guys going. You know, the defensive coordinator looked at me. I said, what the hell are you looking at me before? We got 59 more minutes to go. You know, and, and then uh, what happened was, and I and I emphasized this to our kids and win a workout, we were going to win the first game on conditioning, and we did. We kind of warmed down, and as the game went on, I think we ended up winning the game by twenty to seven. We just kept pounding them at the end, and so I, I and I told the kids after the game, I said, we won this game in February. We didn't win it this last couple of weeks. We won it then because we had a mindset, and that's why I think you know. You don't just prepare for the first game in the last 10 days. You know, it's a process. I mean, it goes the whole year. And uh, you got to have your kids ready both physically and mentally. And, you know, if you think you're going to get ready for the first game in, in the last week of the uh, preseason, you're, you're in for a big shot. I mean, that's not going to happen. So t- I guess so. that's a good place to go. Take me through when, in your mind, you would really start to game plan for the opponent you know, obviously it starts a little bit before spring ball, but I guess, you know, so the, the last season ended, you go through signing day, you know, you kind of get that recruiting class wrapped up. At what point after that do you start to think about the first opponent for the next year? 
I used to have morning workouts uh, the day of signing day. So we would be in there at five o'clock in the morning on signing day. And then from that point on, you know, you're you're preparing in a lot of different ways. You know, you get, I, I would do a half a day for each staff. The coaches would do their evaluations of the previous season. What did we do well as, a, as an offense or a defense or special teams? Evaluate your players, who had a good year, who had a bad year, what they need to improve on. Then we started working on our playbooks after that. Then at the end of the day, we were working on uh, winter workouts. It was either weights or running or, you know, we may be doing both. So that was that's kind of how that went all the way until um, the end of March or the beginning yeah. of April when spring practice starts. So now you're you're implementing your new thoughts on offense, defense, and special teams. You know, at, at that point in time, you're, you're kind of thinking of what you're going to need for the first game. Say like, you know, we used to open up with Navy or or even if you open up with a team like Virginia Tech or had an eight-man front or West Virginia who ran a 5-3 defense, I might dedicate a week of spring practice, you know, on, on that particular offense or defense. So the kids were prepared. So you had to have a game plan of how you thought you were going to attack those defenses, just a preliminary one. Yeah, I remember our, our defensive guys would have a week of what they call Maverick because the two years I was at Rutgers, we yeah. played Navy and we played Army, and they would always have a Maverick week to run against a triple option for a week in spring. Right, because it's hard to, to get that in one week, you know? Exactly, yeah. I remember they had a day like the first two weeks. We played Army week week like 10 my last year, and even like in preseason, there was like two Maverick days, like walkthroughs, just just, just to familiarize them with it, yeah. Right. Yeah. And then May, May is, you know, a month of uh, recruiting. And now, at that time, I had the GAs would break down the first three games. The breakdowns, which are really important, where you're – you're watching the film and plugging in information for every single play, like what you know, what the front is, what the coverage is, and those are really important because that's where you develop your game plan from. You get the stats of as to what they run to each formation or each personnel group, all that. And then coordinators also, if they weren't recruiting, they'd be doing a pre preliminary game plan, you know, for the first three games. They'd have an idea of what they wanted to do. And June, July are summer workouts. And then the coaches had vacations, and then I always would give the coaches the full installation for the coordinators so they could put that together during their vacation. And then also the preseason practice plans and the practice schedules and walkthroughs and so they could start doing scripts. That was all done by the time we got back in early July. In late July, the coaches were in about a week or two ahead of the uh, players. The coaches were in the office. And then first week of August, the players report. And then you try to have 10 days before uh, the first game, you separate, and then um, you start preparing for the first game. I think for everybody involved, from players to coaches, especially young coaches, that at that point is when you start to introduce the scout team. And the scout team is comprised of all the kind of younger players that don't play, and their job is to emulate the upcoming opponent. And we as young coaches would run meetings with, with those guys and show them who we're playing on. So we would have you know young defensive players that weren't starting on our defense, and we would watch you know the Washington State defense for example show them with the techniques they play with how they align how they might adjust to different coverages and it was our job as GAs to get these guys ready to play and play fast and coach them up on what they're doing each week to give the best look possible but it, you know it changed a lot like for us as GAs our preparation the amount of hours it took us to prepare for practice went through the roof because now we're drawing 50 60 cards scout team cards before each practice every single play during practice was drawn up the way we wanted the defense to look was drawn up on a card and they you just emulate the card. One thing we used to say is, is, is see the card, be the card. Um, so for us as GAs, like our workload would uh, expand a lot. 
Um, but then I would imagine also for as a head coach, as a coordinator, and then as the quarterback, things would change because now you're going against you know slightly less competition. You're you're playing against kids that might be younger, out of position. There's just a lot a lot to deal with with getting these young guys trying to act like they're a Division One varsity football team. Um, I guess G, let's start with you. Like, how, how did things change once we started to practice against the scout team? Like, what would change for you as as a player? You know, once the scout team gets introduced, you try to just keep the same intensity. You don't want the offensive line kind of taking reps off, or you know, kind of have that you know. That, that agreement, that nonverbal agreement. Right, the, you know, the brother's you, agreement. Yeah, you go slow, I'll go slow, let yeah. me do my job kind of thing. You want them to really push you and, and give you a good look because it, it, that's the best thing that's going to prepare you for the game. You know, there's been weeks, I remember that there's been weeks when the scout team had a really good week and kind of gave it to us a little bit. You know, we played better in the game. Yeah. You know, and the scout team was flying around and, you know, kind of made some plays, broke up some balls, even intercept some passes or you know, had a couple negative run stops. I think, you know, we played even better because it kind of forced us to step our level of play up in practice. I think there's weeks where we've had scout team kind of dog it and, you know, not be focused. And, you know, we look good in practice and then we come out in the game and, you know, we're kind of not as prepared because, you know, we think we got it in the yep. bag and we think yep. that we know what they're going to do and where yep. they're going to be. When we come out in the game, it's much faster. Exactly. And they switch it up and different looks. So I think the scout team is really crucial. And I think for, for a quarterback, you know, I would try to you know, even motivate those guys, you know, to try to make them play hard you, know, you hear guys. stories your stories in the nfl of quarterbacks who would pay dbs for picking them off yeah. like, i think it was like peyton manning paid like the scout team dbs like a grand for every time they picked him off because he was like thank you you're making me yeah. better you know i don't really have you know Peyton Manning. Right, right, right. <laughs> i was just trying to encourage him to you know kind of give us what give us what they added oh it's critical that the scout team one understands the importance of it some kids coming from high school who were four or five star recruits who might not be in the two or three deep you know to start kind of think that it's less important. Mm. So the looks might not be great. The mm. thing that I always struggled with was, and I went back and looked at it a couple of times, when I played bad, the scout looks were bad during the week. Yeah. And it's not to blame any scout player because I was the one who didn't play well, but the the looks or the weeks that we had great looks were the weeks that we went out and played the best, myself and the whole offense mm-hmm. included. So it's just an important piece of getting ready for a game, being a scouting player as it is anyone any other player. Yep. Well, I remember when I was a redshirt freshman and I was redshirting, I got to run the scout team, and it was I took it seriously, and yeah. I was able to develop. And the thing that that the scout guys they've got to understand is that you can also get better as you're doing right. it because and you're being evaluated. You're definitely you're being evaluated, and you're playing against guys that are going to be playing in the NFL yes, in a exactly. year. So you can definitely hone your craft as you're doing it. But the thing that separates a great scout team player from from just any other scout team guy is his ability to buy into it, study it, watch film, and understand what that guy is trying mm-hmm. to do against no doubt. whoever we're going to be playing that week. That was always a big motivational tactic for me, too. Like a kid, I, I would coach the secondary of the scout team, just the back four, and a big motivation to me would be, like, hey, fellas, like I understand you're not playing varsity football right now and you want to be, but you have an opportunity for 80 plays in practice today to play man-on-man coverage against Leonte Cruz, who's going to be, a, you know, he was a third-round draft pick. Like if you don't think that this is the best opportunity to make you better, you're getting more you're, you're getting more work here going against him than you will be being the starting corner going against our 12 string receiver. Like you really make, can make yourself better. Like take this seriously and you'll reap the rewards. What kind of things would you do? We've both had experience running the scout team. Like what, what were your tactics trying to keep them motivated and all that? Well, the hard part of what you just said is that you know a lot of kids don't realize how important it really is. So. You can tell them that you're going to get more reps, but it's not sexy because it's not on Twitter and it's mm-hmm. not on Instagram. And you can't put pictures up because you're not on TV. Right. So you've got to find alternate ways to try to motivate them. And we did things where 
you know, the scout team player of the day. We'd have a scout team player of the day every day for the front seven and the secondary. Mm-hmm. So we give out two awards every day, and we we give out candy bars and just something yeah, right. something little where where it says basically, you know, you're you're busting your ass, you're, you're doing everything kid, that, yeah. that you know we want you to do. You know, we couldn't get you know equipment from the equipment manager because he wouldn't give anything <laughs> to anyone. But you know, so we went out and bought candy bars, yeah. and you know, I think you know, Narice Wilson went and bought us a bunch, and we had a box, so we gave out Starburst, or we gave out Twix, or yeah. whatever it was. So you yeah. got you got to find ways to, to reward the guys for, for doing one what you want, and two for doing it hard to again prepare the the offense to get ready to play a game. Our, our biggest chance to showcase our coaching abilities was during scout team but then also like there'd be days where i would come out and i wasn't totally focused or i knew i didn't get the dbs you know the scout team dbs completely ready for practice or they had i didn't go over enough situations with them extensively and they would have a bad practice and it would ruin the whole practice you know and you 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 know you're running against bad looks whereas you know the offensive coordinators expecting it to be one coverage but you know your boundary corners not quite doing it the way it was on film and you as the quarterback might be you know the the head coach is like, hey, look for this. When they do this, expect this role coverage. And, you know, your little freshman scout team corner is screwing it up. And now all your indicators are thrown off. And ultimately, it would come back to us as GAs. And we would feel very responsible for that. It's really, I think the scout team is really it, the cliche of, you know, it takes 100 guys to win a championship. From the trainers to the walk-on kids. Like, that's really when it comes into effect. Because me as a GA, I could sabotage any practice or, or make any practice also really good by my ability to sc- coach the scout team. Same with, you know, a walk-on corner could sabotage sabotage an entire practice or have a great day and, and really help to boost the team. Um, and I think all the guys who are really in the background of the whole operation, it's, it's our chance to shine and, and really do our job and get the team ready to play is when the scout team comes out. Uh, Coach, Coach, what are your thoughts on scout team? Well, I, I agree with what both of you are saying. I think it's tremendously important to have a good scout team. Now, I don't think it's just your coaching ability as far as teaching off of a card. I, I look for graduate assistants who could motivate I think it was important for the head coach to get involved in that also. I mean, uh, I would evaluate all the film, both offensively and defensively. And if I saw a kid that wasn't giving effort on the scout team, he'd be in my office the next day. I think when the head coach gets involved with the scout team, that that adds motivation to the scout team. I think, too, the, the, the thing that really gets overlooked, like when, when people start talking about, you know, look at a team like Alabama, who has had a top five recruiting class in the country for 10 years in a row now. I think the impact of something like that that people don't talk about in the media is like yeah you have a bunch of talented guys around but what happens there is now in practice your scout team is filled with a bunch of four and five star recruits that are hungry to go play at the varsity level and have something to prove but were insanely talented athletes and football players before any of this it's not your typical walk-on guy who, who doesn't even really belong to be there giving you a look like I remember even just going from 2014 to 2015 at Rutgers 2014 our starting secondary was all four guys that are starting for them right now all of them are going to go play in the nfl and they're all four-year starters like that was our they were our scout team secondary and then the next year we had a receiver a f- uh, we had a fullback playing safety and we had two walk-ons in our scout team secondary and even just that that alone like not having the depth of talent it hurt us every day on offense because we weren't competing against kids that were giving us realistic looks and and i think that's such a big impact once you get recruiting rolling with a program now the competition and practice becomes so much higher and i don't know that everyone really realizes that people that you know are on message boards and are fans of certain college football programs and you know specifically with me fans of Rutgers, you don't understand the importance of getting a a top level recruit 
not because he needs to play as a true freshman, but because he's making the team exactly. better. Exactly. You know, when you when you talk about an Alabama or an Ohio State, when you're bringing top recruit in after top recruit after top recruit, none of those guys are playing as freshmen. Right. Very rarely do you get a guy who is a starter as a freshman every once in a while in a secondary or skill position, position guy. They're guys that are in the program they are developing for, for at least a redshirt year, mm-hmm. maybe two. But what, what they're getting, meaning in Alabama or in Ohio State, they're getting an advantage over over where Rutgers is right now is they're getting the advantage of their scout team is is going to be better than yeah. the, the the team they're playing basically the opponent yeah, you no know doubt. and it makes it makes it hard to be able to compete it's not only about getting top recruits because they're going to go and play mm-hmm. it's getting top recruits because you're building depth within your program which creates competition which also creates guys being able to play scout positions, getting you ready to play a yeah. game. Gary, talk to me about some of the things that you used to do. Like, you know, obviously before any game, you're a little bit nervous, you're anxious. Like, what were your pregame habits and the little things you would do that no one really saw to calm your mind and get yourself ready for a game? Yeah. Well, first, I always wished that we had more time at Rutgers. I always felt like we were a little rushed in our pregame, you know, stuff. You know, we were on the field and back in the locker room and on the field again and then back in the, it was like moving really fast. But I think, you know, from the hotel just try to relax try to watch tv just kind of get my mind off of the game and then um you know on the way to the hotel kind of just listen to music and then i would always have like some notes in my locker right before the game right before i get on the field you know do like the same kind of warm-up stretch i always did with you know the trainers and, and the ball just kind of run around get loose that way throwing different patterns to yeah. each other kind of just having fun before the game and then um obviously we had our whole little deal with the receivers when they came out because i would you know work up a big sweat then so i like to get back inside take a shower you know just feel much better you know take a whole shower go back to the locker then put my pads on rather than being sweaty i like right. to feel fresh yeah. And then, um, you know, pretty much then just get dressed and, you know, look over any notes that you have, you know, for a first series or whatever it was. And then, um, you know, get ready to play the game. Were you a guy who got nervous before games at all? Uh, you're always nervous because you never know what's going to, like, football is, yeah. you know, it's, it's amazing. You never know what's going to happen. You never yeah. know what's gonna, how, how it's going to play out. But, you know, you're excited at the same time. You get to go out there and play in front of thousands of people on TV. You know, I think anybody who says they don't get nervous is, is lying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so much at stake. You put so much effort into it. It's like you, your parents are watching. Yeah. Everybody's watching. You, you got to get a little nervous. But mm-hmm. I think, you know, like everybody says, after that first snap, you know, it kind of all goes away because you just got to focus on your job. So there's so much at stake. It's like you got you got to get nervous. You know, I always found that if I was prepared, it was going to be what it was going to be. You know, I, I never really got nervous if I knew I was prepared. Right. And again, the more you play, the easier it's going to get. You know, I, I remember my first start ever. It, you just It's not a nervous feeling where it's like, shoot, what am I doing? It's a nervous feeling. It's like, well, I just got to go out and play. Yeah, and like what's you know, going to happen? Yeah, but know? once you play that first snap, everything's gone, and now you're just playing football. It's the yeah. anticipation leading up to it. Mm-hmm. You know, my first ever start was in the Carrier Dome, and that's from Syracuse. You know, right before they kind of fell off a little bit. So they, yeah. were, they were still playing well. They beat us a year before. Um, they didn't have a great team because of injuries a year I, was, I started up there. But just the anticipation leading up to it, getting ready to play the game. And then all of a sudden you play the first snap and it's all gone. Yeah. And then you're just playing football. Yeah. So being prepared and then obviously as you get older and you play more, you know, just getting yourself into a routine that you're going to do every week so you have consistency. Before every game, I would say four decades of the rosary, which would would take me an hour and a half. So I I did that for 43 years. If we had a 12 o'clock game, 
usually breakfast was like at seven. So I'd be getting up at five. I, I tried to be consistent every week, whether it was the opener, whether it was a bowl game, whether it was week seven. It was going to be the same, the same pregame routine. I listened to kind of the same playlist on the bus going to the stadium. I did the same stuff in a locker room prior to. to warm-ups I would go out and throw with Taekwon Underwood for about 10 minutes on the field one to see if it was a, an opposing team stadium to find the play clocks to see where mm-hmm. the play clocks were going to be um, two to see what the weather was going to be like seeing the, seeing the um, play clocks is just explain explain that a little bit just for when you're as a quarterback you know there's a there's a 40 it's 40 now in high school or in college but when I was in high school it was a 25 second play clock that would start on the on the referee's whistle. So in each stadium, in college football and the NFL, somewhere, usually to the right side of the scoreboard or on the lower part of a wall is a, is a play clock. And as a quarterback, you're responsible basically to manage that play clock. So there's a game clock and a play clock. Play comes in, you get the play in the huddle, you're trying to break the huddle by 18 seconds. If you're, if you're not breaking the huddle by 18 seconds, it's gonna be a rush. Mm-hmm. So you're trying to get yourself out of the huddle, get the play from the sideline, Get it called to the offense and get out of the huddle as fast as you can. If you get it, if you get it done by 18 seconds, you can kind of take a deep breath and get up there and take your time and see what's going on. If if it's under 18 and you're breaking it at 17, 16, 15, you know you know you got to start to to speed the tempo up and get yourself up there. Uh, and the one thing I always prided myself in or on was that in my time as quarterback, I don't know if we ever had a delay game penalty. Really? Um, I, I was always conscious to the play clock and, right. to, and to the situation and made sure that uh, if we had to burn a timeout, we know we were going to burn a timeout. So you break the huddle and, and you find a play clock. That's the first thing that you do. Mm-hmm. So when I would get into the stadium, I'd make sure the first thing that I would do was find a play clock, especially, you know, at home it's easy because you, know you know where, where it, it is. is yeah. Basically, besides seeing the defense, that's the thing that you're looking at the most as a quarterback. So pregame of the Washington State game, we had this off the field guy, like old former head coach, um, you know, really successful veteran coach. And he would stay in the booth before the games and kind of just observe the other team and see what they were running pregame, what coverages they were running, who the personnel was out there. Just give us any indicators before the game that would help. And so I remember going into the game first week of the season, we didn't, they had graduated a really good safety. So we didn't know who their second safety was going to be. They had a transfer kid in. And like two freshmen, we couldn't figure out on the blogs like who that kid was going to be. It was one of our big questions going into the week. And, you know, we're all in the locker room. So we get on the phone like 10 minutes before the game. We're like, hey, so so who are the safeties? Like, you know, we, we didn't, who's the second safety? He goes, both of them. Like, what do you mean both of them? He goes, they are who we thought they were. <laughs> and we're like... Freddie, we don't know who the other guy's going to be. We don't know anything they're going to be. Yeah. <laughs> and so <laughs> eventually we're like, all right, forget this. We we hang up on them. First play, we go out there, and their boundary safety is like 6'2", 240 pounds. Like this big rugged dude. We're like, Freddie, who the hell is 34? Who is this kid? He's like, ah, he wasn't out there in the beginning. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And that's it. Episode four of the Sideline Hustle podcast is a wrap. Thank you so much for listening and for giving us your time. Check back with us tomorrow, Friday, September 8th, for another episode of Forward Progress, which will feature my recent interview with Scout.com. Over the next two weeks, we will release an episode that takes a behind-the-scenes look into the details of practice, and we share with you one of the greatest stories of friendship and teamwork in all of football. Gary Nova and Leonte Carew played together in high school at Don Bosco Prep and followed each other to Rutgers, where they left as the most decorated quarterback-wide receiver combination in school history. 
They share their stories with us and describe a bond that can never be broken. Stay up to date with the podcast by following us on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Sideline Hustle. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio, or listen to every episode at thesidelinehustle.com. Thank you guys for listening. Enjoy week two of the college football season and the opening weekend in the NFL. We will see you guys next time. Check it. Uh, I'm from where they barely make it. Houses getting raided. Porch hair braiding. Late rent payment. Lack of motivation. No father figures. I ain't seen his ass in ages. Not too many know about my trials and tribulations. Talking to my mom since I dealt with my shoelaces. Ain't tripping when I say this. Punk ass landlord. I know that nigga racist. Uh, that nigga racist. Constantly conflicting us. Home